Welcome to the Folktale Project, this is Dan Shawls. Today we have, well, we're going to begin the second half of the Master Maid. So far, the prince, our young hero, has given himself into servitude of a giant and has met the Master Maid, a young woman who, well, has helped him, has saved his life many, many times at this point, and has engineered their escape from the giant. And now that they have escaped from the giant and the prince would like to marry the master maid, he has gone off to gather a horse and carriage so that she may be transported in style to meet his family. She's begged him not to go, not to leave her alone, but he has. And now, The Master Maid, Part 4. But when he got home to the king's palace, one of his brothers was just going to be married, and the bride and all her kith and kin had come to the palace, so they all thronged around him and questioned him about this and that, and wanted him to go in with them. But he behaved as if he did not see them, and went straight to the stable, and got out the horses and began to harness them. When they saw that they could not by any means prevail on him to go in with them, they came out to him with meat and drink, and the best of everything that they had prepared for the wedding. But the prince refused to touch anything, and would do nothing but put the horses in as quickly as he could. At last, however, the bride's sister rolled an apple across the yard to him and said, as you won't eat anything else, you may like to take a bite of that, for you must be both hungry and thirsty after your long journey. And he took up the apple and bit a piece out of it. But no sooner had he got the piece of apple in his mouth than he forgot the master maid and that he was going to go back in the coach to fetch her. I think I must be mad. What do I want with this coach and horses? said he. And then he put the horses back into the stable and went to the king's palace, and there it was settled that he should marry the bride's sister, who had rolled the apple to him. The master maid sat by the seashore for a long, long time, waiting for the prince, but no prince came. So she went away, and when she had walked a short distance, she came to a little hut which stood all alone in a small wood hard by the king's palace. She entered it, and asked if she might be allowed to stay there. The hut belonged to an old crone, who was also an ill-tempered and malicious troll. At first, she would not let the master maid remain with her, but at last, after a long time, by means of good words and good payment, she obtained leave. But the hut was as dirty and black inside as a pigsty, so the master maid said that she would smarten it up a little, that it might look a little more like what other people's houses looked like inside. The old crone did not like this either. She scowled and was very cross, but the master maid did not trouble herself about that. She took out her chest of gold and flung a handful of it or so into the fire, and the gold boiled up and poured out over the whole of the hut until every part of both inside and out was gilded. But when the gold began to bubble up, the old hag grew so terrified that she fled away as if the evil one himself were pursuing her and she did not remember to stoop down as she went through the doorway, so she split her head and died. 
Next morning, the sheriff came traveling by there. He was greatly astonished when he saw the gold hut shining and glittering there in the copse, and he was still more astonished when he went in and caught sight of the beautiful young maiden who was sitting there. He fell in love with her at once, and straightway on the spot he begged her, both prettily and kindly, to marry him. Well, but have you a great deal of money? said the master-maid. Oh, yes, as far as that is concerned, I'm not ill off, said the sheriff. So now he had to go home to get the money, and in the evening he came back, bringing with him a bag with two bushels in it, which he set down on the bench. Well, as he had such a fine lot of money, the master-maid said she would have him, so they sat down to talk. But scarcely had they sat down together before the master-maid wanted to jump up again. I've forgotten to see the fire, she said. Why should you jump up to do that? said the sheriff. I will do that. So he jumped up and went to the chimney in one bound. Just tell me when you have got hold of the shovel, said the master-maid. Well, I have hold of it now, said the sheriff. Then may you hold the shovel and the shovel you, and pour red-hot coals over you till day dawns, said the master-maid. So the sheriff had to stand there the whole night and pour red-hot coals over himself, and no matter how much he cried and begged and entreated, the red-hot coals did not grow the colder for that. When the day began to dawn, and he had power to throw down the shovel, he did not stay long where he was, but ran away as fast as he possibly could, and everyone who met him stared and looked after him, for he was flying as if he were mad, and he could not have looked worse if he had been both flayed and tanned, and everyone wondered where he had been, but for very shame, he would tell nothing. And that is part four of The Master Maid. And the maid and her prince are once again parted, but, well, I have a feeling that they will see each other before the end. This is Dan Schultz for The Folktale Project. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, anywhere you'd like to get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Folktale Project. You can find us on Auto Radio, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you like to listen. And you can always head over to folktaleproject.com. We'll find a new story waiting for you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And don't forget... If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating or a review. I do appreciate it. As always, thank you so much for listening.